Not a hotter team on the planet in any sport right now than the Atlanta Braves. And man, are they fun to watch. Plenty more on that coming up. We'll talk Yanks, Mets, Wimbledon, uh, what's going on the PGA Tour. A lot of storylines taking place off the golf course. Not all good either. Welcome to the latest edition of Sports Today with Peter J on this beautiful Friday, July 7th, a little bit after 7 p.m. on the East Coast. I'm your host, Peter J. Mulroy. And again, a big thank you goes out to everyone. I know I say it every week because the show continues to grow. And that's not because of me. It's because of the listeners. This platform now is monetized, meaning there's going to be opportunity and advancement here to take the show on the road, local places across yeah, I'm in the New York City area, across New York City. So the, the loyal listeners, you have ideas on where potentially we might be able to host uh, sports today? That'd be great. I'm all ears. Email me. You, you know the address, PeteMulroy at gmail.com. Uh, you can send me tweets um, through the platform as well. Uh, reach out to me any way you can, specifically on socials, the way you have been doing. Uh, it's been great. And I have never in my wildest imagination think that that was something that would take place but the growth of this platform thanks to your viewership and listenership and support and uh chiming in uh is the reason for that um set up a patron page and everything those of you know who know how that works know exactly what i'm talking about uh and a big thanks to spotify tune and iheart and samsung uh all for the support throughout that as well specifically Podbean. uh so it's it's great to have that news to everyone as as we continue to grow here um, on sports today. Obviously a loaded show with everything going on. We're right right in front of the first half of the Major League Baseball season coming to an end. And it's been an interesting one. Uh, when you talk about some of the teams that we thought might be at the forefront of this race going into the second half of this season, I'm talking about the Padres and the Mets specifically, and we see that they have identical 41 and 46 records and they'll play a three-game set going into the break, so the disappointment there. You talk about teams like Atlanta and Tampa Bay, the two best teams in Major League Baseball will wrap up the first half of the season with a three-game set in Atlanta starting tonight. Um, so storylines galore as we continue to go uh, closer and closer to the break next week um, out in Seattle, which should be a great home run derby and a great all-star game. Uh, just some quick points that uh, happened over the last few hours, uh, even into the late hours of 
Thursday evening. Diamondback star, all-star outfielder Corbin Carroll. You've heard me gush over this kid all season long. Last night was the second time this week that he left the game due to a right shoulder injury. That's not great news. The initial tests were positive, but you're removed at his young age for the same injury twice in a week for a first-place team that just got swept by the Mets. That's problematic. So the, it's great that the tests don't show anything, any damage, any ligament damage, any tendon damage, or any, any breaks. But the fact of the matter is, getting pulled twice in a week is a problem. Now, the good news is the All-Star break's coming up as an All-Star, first time, you, you're not going to see him. It, it would be amazing if you, if you saw him at any part. Um, with that in mind, Astros also put Jose Altuve on the injured list through the All-Star break. He's battling an oblique injury. So the break comes at a good time for the league in general, but a lot of guys that are on the mend, Aaron Judge, Altuve, now Corbin Carroll, guys that need to get healthy. But I want to start uh, this week's MLB segment uh, with the All-Star game. Rob Thompson of Philly, Dusty Baker of Houston going to manage the teams. Uh, I mentioned last week the game's going to air on Fox July 11th and ESPN Radio. T-Mobile Park in Seattle is the host. It's a beautiful ballpark. Uh, I'm dying to get there someday, and I will, uh, just to go out there and watch a game with a really passionate fan base uh, who got a great run last year by a Seattle team going to the postseason, and a team right now that's in the mix for the wild card spot, but has been one of those teams, like the Mets and the Padres, it's been underwhelming, um, to be polite. But you got the home run derby the night before the All-Star game in Seattle, July 10th. The matchups are really appetizing. Top seed from the White Sox, Luis Roberts, going to go up against a really good young catcher from Baltimore, Adsley Rushman. Uh, Adolis Garcia is going to face Randy Arozarena, the stud from Tampa Bay. I like Arozarena, actually, to go to the final here. Mookie Betts for the Dodgers, who's having another solid season against Vlad Guerrero of Toronto. That's an interesting matchup. You know, Vlad Guerrero not getting the accolades this season because, you know, Toronto's kind of been like the Yankees, the ups, the downs, the ups, the downs, the downs, the ups. Um, but they're right there in the mix as well. And that's a team that you're definitely not screwing around with. Uh, the second half of the season, specifically if they get a little more consistency uh, from the likes of Manoa and Bassett in their rotation. But Vlad Guerrero Jr. is a drawer, especially with a stick in his hand during a home run derby. And then Pete Alonzo as the two seed, obviously the Met great who's been, you know, slumping a bit, though the Mets do have a five-game win streak. More on that in a moment. Against the hometown hero, Julio Rodriguez. Got to the final last year and fell to Juan Soto. I like Rodriguez here. Home crowd, ride the wave against a Rosarena in the final. I mean, you're going to see, if that's the final, you're going to see exit velo, and you are going to see bombs over that fence out there at T-Mobile. I mean, this is the final I want to see. I mean, if Alonzo gets there, great. If he takes down Rodriguez, uh, two versus seven, but Rodriguez, given the uh, the home field, could be considered the favorite, considering he got to the final a year ago. Uh, but Alonzo's obviously had success here as a champion. Uh, this is good. This is a lot of people look down on the home run derby. Might mess up a player's swing going into the second half of the season. You're a baseball fan, and quite honestly, as they try to grow this game and put this game in front of kids and say, hey, it's not as boring as you think it is, right? The pitch clock moving these games along so you can get your ass out of there and get home when the game is over and still see a damn good baseball game. That pitch clock is working. I mean, for kids, they don't want to sit there. Yankee Red Sox games are criminal when it comes to time. 
right? You can't watch a Yankee-Red Sox game in less than four hours. But now the pitch clock is helping with that. Events like this home run derby appeal to kids. And it's going to be the kids who are the next generation of this game. And if these kids sit down and watch this year's home run derby, I mean, it's must-see TV. This is entertainment at its finest. Vlad Jr., Rodriguez, Alonzo, Betts, Rushman, Robert, Garcia. I mean, it goes on and on. A Rosa Reina hits complete stingers. I think we're set up to see one of the better derbies we've seen in a number of years. And if you're into this as much as I am, you're never really disappointed. But I think this year's home run derby um, is going to be a nice appetizer to the full course of the um, the All-Star game the following night on the 11th. And it, you look around what the All-Star game is bringing this year, the starters for both teams are just incredible. You know, Aaron Judge was, was selected as a starter. Obviously, he's not going to play as he continues to uh, recover. From his injury expected back in August, we'll get into the Yanks and Mets and more injuries uh, in just a little bit. But Wander Franco is his replacement, the Tampa Bay Rays shortstop, who's having a great season. But you look at this starting lineup for the AL, Jonah Heim, the young uh, catcher for the Rangers. Yandy Diaz is having a phenomenal year for Tampa. He'll start at first. Marcus Simeon and Josh Young play second and third for the Rangers. Corey Seager also going to start at shortstop. So there's your infield. Second, third, short, all from the Rangers. Simeon Young and Seager. Mike Trout gets the nod, but he's not going to play. Randy Arozarena will probably start in center field. And then obviously Shohei Otani, who's having another legendary season, both on the mound and at the plate. The last month that Otani has had, you may never see something like this again. I mean, it's terrifying when he walks into the batter's box and then he can nuke you from the pitcher's mouth. And you've got some good veterans mixed in with younger guys. Perez, Salvi Perez from KC, uh, makes another all-star appearance. Rutschman, who's going to hit in the home run derby as the eight seed, comes over from Baltimore as a reserve. Vlad, Whit Merrifield, and Bo Bichette from Toronto. Wander Franco, we know he's the addition. Robert, who's gonna who's the top seed in the home run derby, along with Austin Hayes, Jordan Alvarez, Adolis Garcia, who's having a phenomenal year for Texas, and Kyle Tucker. Uh, were named as reserves as well. Julio Rodriguez and Brent Rooker representing a really lousy Oakland team, but he's having a fine season. Some of the big names in the AL from the pitching category, Otani, Garrett Cole's been lights out. Luis Castillo been eh, but he's here representing Seattle. Uh, Nate Evaldi's had a nice year and Framber Valdez um, of Houston. Closing things out could be Yenner Cano from Baltimore, Felix Bautista, who might be the best closer in baseball, Emmanuel Classe and Kenley Jansen. Uh, we talked a little bit about the NL last week. Sean Murphy behind the dish. Nolan Arenado is going to start at third. Acuna Jr. and Arcia are going to start at short in the outfield for an Atlanta team that is absolutely on fire. And the reserves are good, too. Atlanta's got three in the reserve. Olsen, Albies, and Riley. I mean, that is a murderer's row, what Atlanta's been putting at the plate in recent time. And they're going to bring them all to the All-Star game. And I think it's going to be real electrifying stuff. Zach Gallen's been one of the best pitchers in baseball. Bryce Elder, Spencer Strider, Justin Steele, Mitch Keller, and the veteran Clayton Kershaw. I mean, this is a loaded staff here for the National League. And when you look at the talent, the mesh, and I mentioned this last week, the mesh of old and young. 
old, I put that in quotations, the veterans, I should say, with the new age guys. This is some special stuff. I really think this is going to be a heck of a weekend, a heck of a an, an all-star game and a home run derby in Seattle. And you saw how much fun, if if, uh, if anybody was watching some of the, the uh, practices and BPs that they were having in Seattle with Ken Griffey Jr. getting up and taking a couple swings, just messing around with the guys, how enamored the players now were just to watch Ken Griffey Jr. swing a baseball bat, and he put a couple over the fence. And by the way, that swing still looks like butter. Ken Griffey Jr. might have the best swing in the history of the game, and it still looks damn good, even at his age, being absent from the game uh, as, as long as he has been. Um, that swing was a work of art, and it still looked like it won. And if you watch some of those BP moments, a lot of these guys really appreciate the spot that they're in being professional baseball players. It was really cool to see. Home Run Derby kicks off July 11th. All-Star Game, uh, Home Run Derby July 10th, I should say. All-Star Game the night after in Seattle. Uh, it's going to be awesome stuff. And I'm telling you, this Home Run Derby, I like Rodriguez to win it over a Rosarena in the final, but it could go anyway. And it's definitely, definitely going to be worth tracking as you watch all this talent that is going to be on the field for two nights and a great event in Seattle. Thinking right center oh. this time, but he drills this one too deep for a triple. That's going to sail out of here. Francisco Lindor is four for four. That's his 18th home run of the year. 3-2 coming to Lindor, and he whacks that one to right, and that's down for his fifth hit of the game. What a five day. for five for Francisco Lindor. Two triples, two singles, and a home run. What a day. I mean, does that come? at a better time for Lindor than to do that on the road in Arizona against the first place team. The Mets go out there and take three when they need it at a crucial spot in the season. Now we've been hard on the Mets here, callers, myself, and rightfully so. I mean, this is the highest payroll in the history of sports and they're five games under 500 as they are about to step into their final series of the opening half with an also underachieving San Diego team with a matching 41 and 46 record uh, this weekend. So you'll probably learn a lot more about both teams here. But don't look too soon. The Mets have won five in a row. And that's after a brutal stretch where they simply were not good. But that Arizona team that they took three straight from, including Thursday night's 9 nothing score, was impressive. Things start going this club's way. Now, 17 and a half games out behind an Atlanta team that has just been electrifyingly good is a hard pill to swallow to say that the Mets aren't out of the NL East race. 17 and a half games back. But here's where you've got more than a pulse. With this five-game win streak, going into a three-game set against a San Diego team that's been as disappointing as you have, now six and a half games out of the wild card, the last wild card spot. That's significant. And when you think about Thursday night's win in Arizona, which capped that sweep of Arizona, that followed two of three from, ta uh, from taking two of three from the pesky Giants and Queens, this Mets offense seems to be showing more life lately. 31 runs across their last five games, all wins, protecting the home field. 
going on the road and playing against a legitimate, called it last week, Arizona, legitimate title contending team, and the Mets sweep them. And you got what you needed most there outside of the offensive support from the big guns. And what was that? A big star from Carlos Carrasco. Thursday, eight innings, three hits, no earned runs, four Ks. That's huge. With the indecisiveness the Met fan base has felt this year around Scherzer and Verlander and some of the other changes they've had to make in that rotation and some of the hard pills to swallow in that bullpen to get that Thursday from Carrasco, who, let's face it, hasn't been great this season. That was big. In a big spot, you get the hot bat of Lindor paving the way off offensively. It's been tough to watch McNeil as of late. Same with Alonzo since he's come back. But you'd have to think conventional wisdom tells you if the Mets are going to go anywhere, they're going to need Alonzo and McNeil. I mean, that's 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 a duh moment. Alonzo more than McNeil, and Alonzo's going to be there. I mean, he's just too good of a player. But now you prepare for this three-game set against this San Diego team. You know, open the show with with how this first half is going to end, right? You've got a three-game set with San Diego and the Mets. Two legitimate preseason favorites amongst prognosticators and fans to win the whole damn thing. And why not? Payrolls combined approaching $900 million. The Sotos of the world. The Lindors of the world, the Alonzos, Machado, Bogarts. Why not? Cronenworth, who's having a horrific season in San Diego. And quite honestly, for what you thought you were getting with Soto, the bang for the buck's not there right now either. So you get to see at the end of this first half, really up close and in person, what these teams really look like. Mets got a pulse. And how quickly things can change. We weren't having this conversation seven nights ago. Go back and listen. We just weren't. And and we're going to get into the Yankees because I've been brutal toward them as well. And that's deservedly so. But the Mets with the payroll, some of the miscommunication, the laissez-faire attitude in, in, in many instances from Epler, and Buck, but the undying support of Steve Cohen. You know, this five-game win streak's on the heels of him addressing the media, which he didn't have to do, and which initially I don't know that I agreed with, but it worked. Because the best thing about Steve Cohen, and I've said it before, he could care less what other owners, GMs, managers, players outside of his organization and other fans think of him. He cares about what his unit thinks and what the Met fans think. Let's go to war with that guy. And he comes with cash. I think you have to be fairly confident to say that this situation with the Mets is going to work out. Cohen's comments about prepping for down the road and not being rash and unloading Epler and Showalter may not have been what the fan base wanted to hear in that moment, but it did make sense. Now, if the wheels fall off, those guys are gone especially like we talked about last week with Cohen wanting to hire a manager of baseball operations who would then obviously oversee Billy Epler and, of course, Buck Showalter as the manager. 
the wheels on the bus fall off, they're gone anyway. Might not be before the end of the season, but change has to be made. And Cohen knows that with this payroll and the expectations that are there. And you can quell a lot more of the anxiety and anxiousness of this fan base by doing some damage in the last three games against an underperforming San Diego team. And that'll start tonight for those listening live Friday, July 7th with Justin Verlander on the mound. So there's an opportunity here for the Mets to keep this going into this all-star break. Easy to do, continue on the road? No, it's not. But guess what? You started this first half ending six-game road trip with three wins against a very good first-place team. And now they'll go tonight, Saturday, and Sunday in San Diego before the home run derby and the All-Star game take place Monday and Tuesday, respectively. Because it'll be very interesting to come out of this All-Star break if you're a Met team. Let's say they sweep San Diego. I mean, what that'll emotionally do to San Diego is destroy them going into the break. And then they'll have to kind of reevaluate where they are going into that trade deadline end of July, early August. Sweep two of three, something to that effect to end five and one, six and oh, going into the break. You open the second half of the season with a three game homestand against the Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, you want to feel what, what City felt, felt, City Field felt like last year. End this first half on a high note and welcome those fans back to Queens after the All-Star break with the freaking Dodgers coming to town. Because that's big. You want to litmus test as you're flirting with a wild card spot because the NL East is not happening. Not just because they're 17 and a half games back. It's because Atlanta's too damn good. They're the best team in baseball, rightfully so. Record and talent combined. But you can really set yourselves up for success if you do damage in San Diego. And the way this offense has played the last five games and the support they're getting in the pitching department, only surrendering six runs as a team across three three games against a really good Arizona lineup, that's impressive stuff. And you can see how quickly the conversation can change in a week's time. So we'll see what the Mets have in order tonight when they start game one of three for San Diego, the final series uh, of the first half of what has been, uh, shall we say, an interesting uh, MLB season. Because you got that Atlanta team, 30 games above 500, 58 and 28, and they got an eight and a half game lead over Miami of all teams for tops in the NL East. Atlanta's won nine of 10. Matt Olson, 29 homers, 70 RBIs. Acuna's got a almost a 420 on base percentage. He's hitting over 330, 21 homers, 54 RBIs, and he's got more than 40 bags. Albies, Riley, Marcelo Zuna's having a freaking renaissance. They don't look like the clear favorites in the National League right now. They are. And they might be the overall favorite in all of Major League Baseball. And wouldn't you know who they're going to end the first half of the season with? I said it before, the Tampa Bay Rays. So you're ending the first half of this season with two teams in the Mets and San Diego who were among the favorites to win the title and two teams that presently have the best record in Major League Baseball. Sports are awesome, aren't they? I mean, this is is great stuff. 
You should be pumped up about this. And the best part about this Braves-Tampa series is how opposed they've been as of late. Atlanta's been lighting up the diamond. Winners of 9 of 10. Tampa, who was the hottest story for most of the first half, have lost five straight. Now, they're still 57 and 33 overall, 34 and 13 at, at home, which is ridiculous. And they're still atop the loaded American League East. Four clear of the Orioles, eight and a half clear of the Yankees. So they'll bring Atlanta to the trop, which could potentially, folks, be a World Series preview. This is good stuff. This is a hell of a way to go into the All-Star break. So now that we know what the Mets have on the table with this final series going into the All-Star break in Seattle, you can tell how in love with this Atlanta team I am. I'm still a believer in Tampa Bay. Let's talk about the Yankees. Eight games back in the American League East, and they currently have that third wild card spot. What does that mean if the playoffs started today, the Yanks are in? And I've been saying for weeks, the Yankees are a playoff team, but nothing more than that. And I thought, well, my tune had changed so quickly as it can happen, I said it before in sports with the Mets, that my mindset and my belief and my faith as a lifelong Yankee fan was changing midweek. You heard in the open, I played the Harrison Bader three-run home run that effectively won uh, Tuesday's game against, or Monday night's game against Baltimore for the Yankees 6-3. to three. Take the first two of four against the team you're looking up at in the standings. Pretty impressive. And then what happens? They bomb out in the third game of the set. And then Thursday night get drubbed 14-1. to one. Because this is what the Yankees do. They lift you up by grabbing nice wins over a solid team and then completely make you question your any potential change of heart you might have had by crashing out in other games. You know why Isaiah Conor-Falefa has appeared as a pitcher this year four times? Your utility infielder and sometimes starting center fielder has appeared four times as a pitcher. Folks, that happens when teams are getting blown out and they want to save arms. This is the New York Yankees we're talking about. That's happened four times this season. And I tell you, the Yankees have a problem on their hands right now, and his name is Luis Severino. He was terrible again Thursday night. Two and two-thirds, seven runs on ten hits. That is the second straight start. That Severino, who's now 1-4 on the campaign and a ERA north of 7.5 this season. Second straight start, he's allowed at least seven runs. 58 hits across 43 innings. 40 runs, 35 earned, 11 homers, 19 walks, and only 37 strikeouts. This is a problem. Now, Aaron Boone, Luis Severino quoted in the New York Post the other day. They're working on it. Severino doesn't feel like himself, but he still knows he has it in him. That's all well and good. But if he doesn't find his groove, there's a legitimate chance that Luis Severino could be bounced from this rotation. Carlos Rodon makes his debut for the Yankees tonight, Friday, July 7th. 
your prized fish outside of Aaron Judge in the offseason makes his debut tonight. So that's one. Garrett Cole's dominated. And if you hadn't paid attention lately, someone we've been particularly hard on all season, Clark Schmidt, is pitching to a sub-3 ERA across his last eight starts. So you got to give credit where credit's due. He was pretty damn good the other night against Baltimore. Add in the fact that Davey Garcia has been activated, primarily to work out of the bullpen, but also that Johnny Brito and Randy Vasquez have performed well as young arms in the rotation. It is entirely possible that if Severino doesn't figure this out coming out of the break and the Yankees are kind of in this purgatory, that he's out of that rotation and he goes to the bullpen. Now, there is one thing that could keep him in the rotation, and this broke just before I came on the air. And that is the horrific news that Nestor Cortez is going to be out until at least August because he was just this evening placed on the 60-day injured list as he continues to battle a sore rotator cuff. He had started rehab. He had started throwing live BP to batters. Hasn't pitched to the bigs uh, since May 30th. He's 5-2 and two this year, an inflated ERA of five, over 5 across 11 starts. But he's an innings eater, and he's reliable. And he's gutsy, and he's tough. So now you're down him until at least August. That could very well and probably will keep Severino around a little bit longer. But the Yankees, again, eight back in the AL East with three upcoming at home to end the uh, the first half against the Chicago Cubs, who are not a bad baseball team. It's going to be very interesting to see how the Yankees navigate this if Severino can't get out of this funk that he's in. The Yanks let Clark Schmidt work through this. They basically said they were going to do that from go. And it looks like it's paying off, at least as of late. Because over the last month plus, Schmidt, as I just said before, has looked damn good. Might not have that luxury with Luis Severino. Because it's not a secret that the starting pitching behind Gary Cole needs to be better. Severino's a big part of that. So there's a problem that we will now begin to highlight even more moving forward. The second problem is while it is understandable that an offense would dip a bit without the likes of Aaron Judge in the lineup, it is a bit alarming that even outside of his three-run homer, guys like Harrison Bader, Anthony Rizzo, who's been frustrated with himself, very open about it in the media and the press about his lack of power, DJ LeMahieu, Josh Donaldson 0 for 3 again last night, and Glaber Torres can't carry the offense more than they have been. The inconsistencies become more of an issue as you obviously get through later in a season. And oh, by the way, when you look at Anthony Rizzo, the power numbers have obviously dipped. So is his average. He's hitting a mediocre 261 now. And from the start that he had this season, that's a problem. Now, Rodon makes his debut tonight, July 7th, for those lists, uh, listening later, against the Cubs, former Yankee Jamison Tyone, who struggled uh, to the tune of 2-6, ERA north of 6 this year. Um, he's had a down year uh, with the Cubs. 
So this is an opportunity for the Yanks to see what they have potentially with Rodon, who was one of their, their biggest offseason acquisition outside of re-signing their now captain Aaron Judge. This is a big three-game series to end this first half for the Yankees, which, oh, look, it, and I have friends that I talk to that are Met fans that don't want to hear Yankee fans complain, and I get that. But here's where I where I differ with what I like that I see from the Mets against what I absolutely can't stomach with the Yankees. You've got an owner who comes to the table and addresses people, right? The team, the media, the fan base in a public forum. That's Steve Cohen. We know things aren't great. I'm not happy about it either, but we've got to stay the course. We can't make rash decisions. Fine. People wanted Buck and Epler gone. It's not going to happen, at least not now. You you move on. And the, since then, the Mets won five in a row, playing good baseball. Cross town in the Bronx, you've got an owner who lives in La La Land. Then everything is fine. And again, they're 48 and 40. Eight back in the East, is it doable? Sure. Especially with Tampa coming back to earth lately. And you got a wild card spot. But you've got a team so reliant on its starting right fielder that can't do anything with consistency offensively. A manager who makes you scratch your head. And quite honestly, perhaps a GM who's done all he can here. I love Brian Cashman as much as the next guy. But at least I see the, the willingness of the Mets organization to at least have these conversations that say, hey, this stuff right now is not working, but we will get it fixed. Oh, everything's fine in Yankeeville. It's not. You're third in a loaded division, not too long ago looked awful against a mediocre Red Sox team in Fenway, have some bad blowout losses on the schedule through 88 games or whatever it is this season. Yeah, I, not to overreact. But yes, this is a big half-ending series for the Yankees against the Chicago Cubs. This is big. I, there's, there's no other way to put that. So, like, oh, the Cubs stink. You know what? They're, they're a 40 and 46 team still flirting with relevancy in that NL Central. The, the Reds continue to play great ball, 8-2 and two in their last 10. They've won five in a row. Milwaukee seems to be snapping out of whatever funk they were in. Pittsburgh's come back down to earth, but this is not a Cubs team that I'm screwing around with. They're not particularly good on the road, so that might work in the Yankees' favor. And you look at the Yankees' record at home, 27-21. and 21. Okay, 48-40 overall, 545 win percentage. That's great. You dropped two in a row and looked awful doing it to a team you're trying to catch in the standings in the Baltimore Orioles, who you were within two of. And then you lose by 13 runs. So, yeah, to me, without trying to overreact or overhype something, well, I think the Mets have an opportunity to keep the wheels churning here going into the break. I think this is a big, big three-game set for the Yankees against the Cubs. Decent team, but you're better. And last time I made comments like this about the Yankees going into Fenway Park, you're better than that team. Go sweep them. The exact opposite happened. And that's what has been the problem with the Yankees this year. Every single freaking time you think they're going to do something that they should be able to handle, a win they should be able to pick up, a team they should be able to put down, 
It's the other side of the coin that rears its head. That can't happen this weekend against the Chicago Cubs. And I'll leave it at that. Quick injury update with the Bombers. Jake Bowers, it looks like he's going to take a trip to the IL, sustained a uh, bone bruise on his left rotator cuff, uh, diving for a ball that was Wednesday night against Baltimore. So more news expected on that. You know, Montaz is out until, I guess, the second half of the season, if you see him at all. Uh, Aaron Boone was quoted the other day in the press at uh, to say Aaron Judge is about 80%. Um, he's expected to return, obviously, after the break sometime in August. Willie Calhoun, uh, who we continue to say has been a nice addition for this team, uh, still going to be out until uh, late July as he recovers from a left quad strain. Same with Greg Allen. He could be back right after the break. Uh, and Jonathan Lewisick is probably out now until September uh, with a right elbow bone spur. If you get him back in August, that's great. Um, but as it looks now, uh, that's a hit to the bullpen uh, or a guy that they're probably not going to have the services of uh, until September. So that's pretty much what's going on with baseball as we get into um, this all-star break. Lots to watch, right? The Derby's going to be awesome. The all-star game might be even better. It's talent galore, folks. And if you got young kids who are into baseball, this is what you want to show them, that it humanizes these guys, or at least it should, to see them outside playing a child's game right? Having a good time doing it. And I think you'll see that uh, Monday, Tuesday, the 10th and the 11th of July uh, in Seattle for All-Star Week. He has done it. Major title number 20. One chase is over. He's caught Roger and Rafa. How many times we hear that Broadcasts like that surrounding Novak Djokovic. And he's trying to do it again. If the Joker's able to win Wimbledon this time around, it's his eighth overall, fifth in a row, the eighth number there with Ty Roger for the most ever. And he's won four straight at the All England Club, 2020 canceled due to COVID. He's the two seed this year, winner of seven of the past 11 Wimbledon titles. I mean... I teased the show during the week on socials. You know, will we get this dream matchup of the two-seeded Joker against Alcaraz, the youngster, the top seed from Spain? Because you had that in the French semis. And then what happened? Alcaraz started cramping up. He was never the same after those first two sets. So people have kind of been salivating at the thought of getting that matchup. Kind of like with this All-Star game coming up, right? You've got the young and the old, right? The old guard, the newer guard. If we get that as a final, I mean, you're going to be sitting down in front of your TV watching that men's final. Because you you look at this, this ladies' draw and the amount of talent in there, it's hard to pick a winner. Case in point, last week I went on the show, laid out my predictions. I think Djokovic will ultimately get, land that dream matchup with Alcaraz, and I think he's going to win it. That's my pick. But I went right out of the gates and I took Coco Goff, the American, to win the entire thing. And we knew she'd have a tough matchup with Sophia Kennan in the first round, and Kennan beats her. Now, I had, I, had, I had said to the fact last week that this lady's draw was wide open. Igish Vontek's the best player in the world, bar none. It's not even close. And she's looked great through a couple of matches already. 
the track record on grass not there. But she's got to the round of 16 in all of the majors thus far this year. That's pretty impressive. So she's obviously the favorite. But Alina Ribikina has looked really good. Jessica Pagula had played good tennis coming into this. So the ladies draw, it's all over the place. There could be upsets galore there. But on the men's side, there's not too much that could be disruptive from just going chalk perspective. Daniil Medvedev has looked great. We almost had a hiccup if you were going down the bracket, right? The the main upset to this point was fan favorite Great Britain's own Liam Brody taking down Casper Ruud. That was the first major upset. Ruud was the four seed. Damn good player. He's got a good service game. So he's gone. The four seed's gone. Just like the seven on the lady side. That was Goff. And if you paid attention the last two days, two times men, men uh, Wimbledon champion Andy Murray faced off against number five Stefano Tsitsipas from Greece. And I don't know, and, and I'm not one to glorify a lot of these aspects of sports, you know, other than the domination from guys like Roger, Djokovic, Tiger over the years, right? The, 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 the 90s Yankees teams, the, the Jordan Bulls, things you may never see again. This Tsitsipas, if, and if folks that watch tennis know what I'm talking about, I don't remember the last time I saw a forehand like this. I mean, he the load up is poetry in motion. And the grace with which he plays around that strength is very reminiscent of Roger Federer. You know, I, there weren't too many people that played with the grace and power combo that Federer did specifically at Wimbledon. But this Tsitsipas, who's the number five seed, is unbelievable. And man, did he get a scare from Murray. Murray was up two games, uh, two sets to one after play gets halted due to a local curfew uh, Thursday night. The match resumed today. And Tsitsipas gets through with that big forehand, 6-4, fifth set victory. But that was some really good tennis that you watched in that match. 36-year-old. Andy Murray looked far from it. And even if you saw the earlier match with Novak Djokovic and Stan Wawrinka, um, Wawrinka's a three-time major champion, 38 years old, still top 80 in the world, I think. Djokovic took him down in three sets, but the third set went to a tiebreaker. So this very well on the, on the gentleman's side, as they call it, may go chalk. It might. But there's a lot of talent in there that could be very disruptive to setting up that dream final of Djokovic and Alcaraz. That's the prediction that I made originally. I got to stick with it. I still believe it. I'm out on the ladies' side picking Coco Goff, who's still one of my favorite players uh, in sports on any level today. Just got upended by Sophia Kennan who returned after really a good story, battling uh, mental health issues, hadn't played um, all that well. And man, did she look good uh, ousting Goff in that first round last week. So that's kind of where we are and, and where we're moving as we're getting into rounds three and beyond. The big names, Medvedev, Djokovic, Alcaraz still there. Uh, Svantec, Ribikina, uh, they're all there as well. So, obviously, we're going to stay up to date uh, as the tournament rolls along at the All England Club. Wimbledon's a great event every year. 
Um, and we've certainly been treated to some fun upsets, but then getting a look at why the dominant players, the Schwantex and Djokovic of the world, are so good. I mean, if you watched any of the Vavrinka-Djokovic match today, there were instances where Djokovic was able to lay back and just work the forehand, work his backhand, come up to the net. He's never out of a point. And in the third set, there was a, there was an instance, and I was watching it live, where Vavrinka had him on the ropes. They start playing the volley game. Vavrinka dumps one over his head. Djokovic goes across his body midair and is able to finesse a forehand deep enough where Vavrinka wasn't able to recover, and the crowd went absolutely ballistic. And he'd go on to win that third set uh, for a straight set victory to move into the next round. The guy's just impressive. And if you get that final with the youngster from Spain, you're going to see some some fireworks with a final that could potentially go the distance. And that would be really cool, not just for tennis fans, but for sports fans uh, everywhere, as this tournament continues to really, really be a spectacular one. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Sports Today with Peter J. Yeah, obviously we're here every Friday, 7 p.m. on the East Coast Sports Today with Peter J. You can subscribe on all platforms. Follow me on social media as well. I'm subscribing right here on Podbean, Samsung, um, Spotify, all of them. All uh, iHeart has been do, uh, working wonders. And now that the, the platform is monetized, which is great, uh, looking to take the show on the road to different venues. Any ideas? I'm all ears, uh, specifically across the New York City landscape. Because, uh, again, this is a national show with a New York City flair. Um, so any ideas uh, sound good for me, right? So what I want to do coming out of Wimbledon is just get into um, some of the the, uh, the news from the golf world. You've got the U.S. Women's Open uh, taking place right now. American Bailey Tardy's at the top um, at minus 7, 69-68, her first two rounds. Uh, of note, this will be the final competitive golf tournament for 2014 U.S. Women's Open champion Michelle Wee. Only 38 years old, but she's going to step aside from the competitive aspect of golf. Uh, the present cut is plus six right now uh, at Pebble Beach where they're playing, and Wee, last I checked, was was plus eight. So she was flirting with the cut line um, right now, plus 10 overall uh, after an opening 79. So she's got some work to do uh, as she continues to play her second round um, as a as a former U.S. Open champion, if she wants to play into the weekend in what is going to be her final uh, competitive uh, event after an interesting career um, that might have been uh, unfairly overhyped for Wee, but certainly uh, did some damage in her own right there uh, by you know winning a major and and having a couple of top tens in some other majors. So she you know she was able to do damage on the courses that's for sure. Uh, hell of a player and 33. She's got you know, plenty in front of her as well, but it would be great to see her get into the weekend. It just doesn't look like it's going to happen right now unless she makes a couple of birdies and that cut line uh, moves. On the men's side, you got the John Deere Classic taking place um, this this week at TPC Deer Run. This is always a fun tournament. Uh, and right now you've got Cam Young, who's playing good golf this season, atop the leaderboard. He's got a two-shot lead over Adam Shank and Garrick Higo. Um, Brendan Todd is also there at minus 11. Um, th this is one of those tournaments where you always learn a little bit more 
about some of the guys you might not be all that familiar with, but Cam Young has had a nice uh, season uh, to this point. FedEx Cup, top 50 player. Uh, same with Shank, was a top 30 player coming in. So this is obviously going to be something to keep an eye on this week and just adds another layer um, of what's going on uh, in the world of golf. And I mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, specifically with golf, some good, some bad. So that's the good, right? You heard Ricky Fowler getting the victory last week over Colin Moore, Cow, and Adam Hadwin in the playoff at the Rocket Mortgage. You heard some of those highlights uh, at the top of the broadcast. That was all uh, well and good. And then this week, with Liv having their tournament going on and obviously the John Deere taking place, uh, you get comments from Brooks Kepka, uh, basically blasting his Liv teammate, Matt Wolf. Now, golf enthusiasts know Matt Wolf. He's got the quirky swing where he bends the hip on the way down, um, violent swing, but he bombs the ball. And he was off to a great career start, and then the, the game started to go south. Matthew Wolf has been very open about battles with mental health, and that's not something that should be taken lightly. Brooks Kepka, as dominant a player as he is, specifically as we all know when it comes to the majors, hasn't always been the most likable guy. And quite honestly, it's for comments like I'm about to read. Saying this to uh, Sports Illustrated earlier in the week, referencing Matt Wolf allegedly quitting on his team. When you quit on your round, you give up and stuff like that, it's not competing. Now, an element of live golf, they play individually, but there are there's a team game involved as well. I think it's insane, but whatever. That's what makes live live, right? So it's a four-man team. Brooks Kepka is the captain of this smash golf club. That's what the team name is called, which is absurd in its own right. I'm not a big fan of quitting. You don't work hard. It's very tough. It's very tough to have even like a team dynamic when you've got one guy that won't work. One guy is not going to give any effort. He's going to quit on the course, break clubs, gets down, bad body language. It's tough. I've basically given up on him. A lot of talent, but I mean the talent's wasted. I mean, you know what? That's a little aggressive. You want to be upset with somebody? You air it out in their face. Not the Sports Illustrated, which every sports fan in America probably reads, including myself. Obviously, Wolf responded. But not the way you think. Not only did he call the comments disappointing, he called them heartbreaking. And folks, here's why they're heartbreaking. Yeah, you leave a course, you don't play well, that's fine. Throwing clubs, I, I, I'm not all about that. But I play the game. I'm, I'm a halfway decent player. I get frustrated. I don't slam clubs. I talk to myself. You know, I try to keep it internal. It's a frustrating game. It can be the most rewarding game you play, but it can get to you, specifically mentally. And a lot of these guys handle that stuff differently. But for Matt Wolf to call these comments heartbreaking, he's been very open publicly, to his credit about battles with mental health. Brooks Kepka knows that. And, he, and, he, and he's complaining about a guy who's not having a great year on the live tour, who's on his team, who is higher in the live rankings than Brooks Kepka's brother, who was also on his team. So what does that say? Brooks Kepka's brother's terrible. And he's on their team. Now, Matt Wolf hasn't had a good year competitively on live. And he's going to certainly have some decisions to make moving forward. And your Brooks Kepik, you could be upset with the guy. 
you could be upset with the way he's playing. It's a team's there's a team aspect to this individual game. So yeah, there's got to be accountability there. But to air it out in this fashion, to basically call a guy a quitter and say you've got no use for him. Yeah, he's got a lot of talent, but I'm done with him. It's wasted. That's absurd. That's absurd to me. I think it's inappropriate. I think it's rash. And I think, as as Wolf said himself, I think it's disappointing that you could be so tone deaf to say something like this. You wouldn't say this about anyone. You shouldn't say it about anyone publicly anyway. And it certainly sounds like these two need to have a conversation if Wolf even wants to entertain it. I get the element of, of getting down mentally and breaking clubs. You know, it, you, you sometimes lose yourself. But when you're a captain on a team, you're like a, a captain. You've got to be a leader. And going to a, a publication like this to air this out is not good. And uh, you know what? You know what's sad? As dominant as Kepka is, and in the majors, nobody's really been better in recent in recency. I'm not all that surprised. And I think that's a problem in itself. That a face of the game who wins a major representing Liv just this season can say things like this as a captain of a team, as a spokesman for an entire off an, an entire offshoot league about someone who's on his own team. That's not leadership. That's a cousin of cowardice, quite honestly. And you watch Kepka walk around as good as he is. He knows he's good, and that's great, but he's pompous. He's not very likable. He's not going to win many friends here either, especially in that mental health community, because comments like this help no one. Specifically, Matthew Wolf, whose problems on the course have been well-documented as someone who was a top 20 player, basically out of the gate. And we've seen comeback stories. Ricky Fowler's a perfect example. Ricky Fowler used to probably have too much fun on that golf course. But you could see how stoic he is now, how within himself he even was at that U.S. Open. I know the ending wasn't the way he wanted it, but he comes back at the Rocket Mortgage, plays damn good golf, and gets a playoff victory. That's impressive from the struggles that he had on the course. Now, Wolf's dealing with the on-course struggles and the mental health battle that, again, he has not been shy about. You root for someone like that. And to hear these comments from someone like Brooks Kepka, who was a giant of the game. As a five-time major champion, you are a giant. You have future Hall of Famer. You are a giant of the game. You don't want to be a leader. That's fine. Just don't be an antagonist. You got to be representative to some degree, and he's not. Because there's a hell of a lot more to sports than just winning and losing. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. So they'll, I'm more than certain in some aspect this will come to a head. How? We don't know. When? Not really our business. But with the way the media is today, I'm sure we'll all find out. But from my perspective, not good from Brooks Kepka uh, at all. Five to eight this July 7th on the East Coast. Sports today with Peter J. I just want to do a little housekeeping uh, before we get out of here and wrap up uh, the week. Northwestern news coming out of the Northwestern football program. Coach Matthew Sherald, who seemingly has been there forever, 
was hit with a two-week suspension after an investigation uncovered evidence of what was quoted as problematic conduct uh, in a report put out by ESPN earlier in the week. Now, the two-week suspension so they'll have uh, monitoring of the locker room. Somebody will oversee that locker room who doesn't directly report to Fitzgerald, I guess, is how it's going to work. Um, so they'll keep an eye on this um, problematic conduct, hazing, bullying, anything of that effect. Um, and, and, and that is something that will be kept an eye on as we're only a couple of weeks away uh, from the college football season, which is going to start the end of August, if you can believe it. Uh, in the NBA, Deontay Murray got a big four-year deal worth up to what could amount to be 120 mil with the Hawks uh, coming off a nice season. So we, we've seen the different aspects of this NBA free agency with the trades, the free agent signings, uh, the re-upping. Um, this is a deal for a player in Murray who's 26 years old, averages over 20 points, six assists, and five boards, uh, nearly two steals. He's a, he's a pure starter for an Atlanta team. Yeah, they snuck into that uh, playoff playing round but underachieved. Uh, Murray was the first five years of his career in, in, in San, San Antonio uh, before he was, he, if you remember, he was part of that package with uh, Danilo Gallinari uh, shipped over to Atlanta. So uh, that's that's a big deal for Atlanta as they try to rebound from an underachieving uh, campaign a year ago. You got the MLB draft set to take place July 9th. That's a Sunday. That preempts the home run derby on the 10th and the all-star game on the 11th which again is going to be really good stuff uh so you'll obviously want to be tuned there you've got that coming up wimbledon continues the u.s women's open is shaping up to be a good one and we've got an american atop the leaderboard again barely tardy last i checked about 15 minutes ago minus seven uh she's still the leader through her first two rounds you'll have the john deere classic kicking off uh, it's weekend rounds three and four with Cam Young atop the leaderboard. Mets end the first half with the Padres. Yankees end the first half uh, with the Cubs. And we end this edition of Sports Today with Peter J. Once again, thanking you for your loyalty, viewership, listenership, uh, subscription, and all across the board support, uh, support as this show now took the next step with being monetized as we continue to move forward and look for... Um, live hosting venues that really embrace what we're doing good sports talk with respect knowledge and the ability to listen and hear one another back and forth folks as always have a great weekend and i will talk to you seven days from now friday july 14th live at 7 p.m on the east coast at sports today with peter J. have a great weekend everybody talk to you soon